So we're in, we're in a series on the church. We're talking a lot about what is the church, who is the church. Um, today, last week, we talked about the church's mission. The, the mission of the church is, is pretty simple. Jesus made it super clear for us. He said, uh, all authority has been given to me. Jesus said, all authority has been given to himself. So therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the mission of the church. Make disciples of of all nations. So if that's our goal, if that's the bullseye in the middle of the target, um, then what is a disciple? And so that's our conversation today. What, what is a disciple? How do we define a disciple? Am I a disciple? Uh, what is Jesus telling us to reproduce? So we're going to look specifically at what is a disciple this morning, and I hope to encourage you with the scriptures. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 4. So take your Bible. We're going to be at Matthew chapter I felt like the best place we could go to discover what a disciple is, is to the, early, the earliest of disciples. When Jesus first call, called these men to follow him, what did that mean? What did it look like? Um, and what, did it, what should it look like for us? Um, when we look at these first disciples, surely we'll discover this is the pattern that we're meant to emulate as we follow Jesus. As you're finding your place there in, in Matthew chapter 4, I think it'd be good just to start with a definition for what is a disciple. So if you've got your teaching outline, that's, that's where we begin. Here's a, here's a good definition. I think it's a good definition. It says, a disciple is a follower of Jesus who has turned from his sin, trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, and is being transformed from the inside out. A disciple has died to himself and has surrendered his life to Christ as Lord. So those three things at the top. Here's, here's defining attributes of a disciple. He's turned from his sin, trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, and is being transformed, being changed from the inside out. All right. Also, a disciple has died to himself. What does that phrase mean? Well, in, in Luke 9, Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, if anybody wants to follow me, is to deny himself. So deny your own desires, deny your own passions, deny what you want. Take up your cross. That means be willing to die uh, and follow me. So Jesus says, you have to die to yourself. Paul said later on in Galatians 2.20, he said, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So this idea of dying to ourself means it's no longer about me. I'm not living for me anymore. I'm living for Jesus. And then surrendering, this last bit of the definition, has surrendered his life to Christ as Lord. So I just want to give us three points today uh, three thoughts about what is a disciple. Hopefully, um, this will be a blessing to you. Hopefully, it'll challenge you. A um, couple of goals I have. One, I feel like we have an epidemic of lazy Christianity. Anybody agree with me? We have an epidemic of people who say they're a Christian, but aren't following Jesus. Right? We have a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but Jesus is like way out in front, and they're going this direction with their life. Jesus uh, talks about being a Christian in terms of following him on mission. And those two things are inseparable. If you're not following him, you're, you're not a Christian, just to make that super clear. Okay, so um, here's the deal. There's a point in time when a person goes from not following 
from not being a disciple to being a disciple. That happens at a, at a moment in time. For, for me, I was seven years old. Um, I, was, I was raised as a kid in church. My, my dad was a music minister, and so we were all the time in church. I used to sit uh, with my parents, and, and I'd draw or doodle or whatever. If I ever got too loud, my dad's arm would kind of be around mom, and he'd just thump me in the side of the head. Uh, but I would just draw and, and, and that sort of thing. Well, one Sunday night, we were there in church, and the preacher's preaching, and he's just talking through the gospel, and something about it caught my attention. And I stopped drawing And I just looked up and I began to listen as he talked about how you're a sinner. We're all sinners. But you need to be forgiven of your sin. And there's only one way you can be forgiven, and that's if you trust in Jesus Christ. Because God says that the penalty, the price for our sin is death. But Jesus came and died in your place. He paid that price for you if you believe in him. If you put your faith in him and if you follow him as a seven year old boy, I didn't know much more than that, but that was enough. I sat on the bed that night with my mom and she was getting ready to tuck us into bed. And I said, Mom, I need to be saved. She was like, what what do you mean? So I told her all those things I just told you. And she was like, oh, you do need to be saved. You, You do know what you're talking about a little bit. I didn't know a lot, but I knew that much. She started explaining to me what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to give my life to Jesus. And um, she helped me to pray, to, to ask Christ to save me. And as we're praying, in the middle of that prayer, I'm seven years old, I'll never forget it, I, I start laughing. And my mom stops and she's like, hey, son, this is not a joke. I don't know why you're laughing, but this, this is not a joke. This is serious. Are, are you being serious or are you just joking? And I was like, no, mom, I'm serious. I'm just so happy. I just, there's so much joy in my heart, I can't stop laughing. And so we, we finished praying. I was just super excited. I got baptized not long after that. But I want to tell you, that was the beginning of a journey for me. The beginning of a journey of God changing and transforming me. There's been a lot of hiccups and speed bumps along the way, okay? If you've walked with the Lord long enough, you know that's the case, right? There's a lot of bumps and, tra- and transformation the Lord's working from within out. But that was the beginning point. That was when I went from not being a disciple to being a disciple. I wonder about for you, where's that? Has that starting point happened in your life? Has there been that point where you say, it's not about me anymore. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. Following Jesus is not about obeying a bunch of rules. You know, every other religion tells you that you do these things and you you'll be accepted by God. Christianity says Jesus came to you so that you can be accepted by God. Now go and live this way. It's not a, it's not a do so that. It's a because of, now do kind of thing. So ask yourself, has that happened in your life? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Um, Here's the radical thing that happens. When you give your life to Jesus, like I said, He begins to change you. Lots of things change. So I want to ask you a couple of pointed questions. Do do you still value the same stuff that you did before Jesus? Do your pursuits, is what you're chasing in life, does it look a lot like people who don't know Jesus? Because those things are expected to change for disciples. Um, 
Is there anything in your life, and this one's tough, is there anything in your life you are not willing to give up for Christ? These are some pointed questions. I I want us to really draw in um, and see what the Lord will do with us. So these earliest disciples, what I want us to do is zero in on them and, and pull out some principles that are true for every disciple. So here we go. The earliest disciples left everything. The crazy reality of following Jesus is you actually have to turn away from pursuing all this other stuff, right? You've got you to turn away from this and follow Jesus. And when we look at these disciples, Matthew's account gives us some details. So why don't we stand together and we will read Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets. Do you see that? Immediately they left. Those three words. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left. You see it again? There's the repetition. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Lord Jesus, would you teach us today what you expect of a disciple and help us to follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, the earliest disciples left everything. Uh, Luke chapter 5, we'll look at in just a moment, but that's, that's exactly what it says in Luke 5. It says, immediately they left everything and followed him. Um, But let's just look at these three specific things that are listed in Matthew 4. In Matthew 4's account, we have uh, in verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 18, it says, uh, for they were fishermen in the 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets. So they left their nets. So here's what I want to tell us. We've got to forsake, you need to forsake your old pursuits. Forsake your old pursuits. You know, before you before you come to Christ, maybe you had a dream of what your life would be. Uh, for these men, they were fishermen. This was their their uh, profession. This is their livelihood. It's it's how they provide for their families. It's how they provide for their futures. Uh, this is a, a career choice that probably they inherited from their father and their father's father because that's just the way it worked in this culture. Um, but this is their profession. It's their life. Their livelihood. This is their pursuit. It's maybe their dream for life. Well, maybe before you came to Christ, you had a dream, something you wanted to do. Maybe you wanted to be a doctor, you wanted to be a teacher, you wanted to be a lawyer, whatever it may be. When you come to Christ, He expects all of that to be on the table. All of that is is on the table. See, I think we as Christians spend a lot of time asking God to bless our dreams. But God actually wants to bless us as we chase his dreams. And so what we've got to do to be a disciple is we've got to forsake our pursuits. Now, it may mean that God will say, now, I know you want to be a doctor, but I want you to be a doctor in this way. 
And as you're a doctor, I want you to I want you to do this. I want you to go on this mission field or maybe like one of our elders. You know, I know you're a veterinarian, but I want you to serve me overseas right now because our pursuits are, are, are not for us to determine. They're for him to determine. That's what it means to follow someone else is they get to determine your path. Does that make sense? So we've got to forsake our pursuits. It would be a great tragedy for you to spend your life climbing a ladder only to get to the top of it and realize you leaned it against the wrong wall. To be a disciple means to forsake your pursuits. We look also in this passage in verse 22, it says immediately they left the boat. So they left their boats. And what I want to say to us today is we've got to forsake our possessions, your old possessions. This is super simple, but it's, it's amazing how our stuff we, we think we have a grip on our stuff. And the great reality is your stuff has a grip on you sometimes. And what I want to tell you is don't let your stuff keep you from following Jesus. In our world, I could give you some crazy statistics about how uh, people of my generation are so bound in debt. They feel such a bondage to the debt that they owe that they can't have. They can't be generous. You get what I'm saying? We're so we've 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 overbought, we've overspent, we've overinvested, and now when God says, "Okay, I want you to give," we don't have it to give because our hands are so tied to either our debt or our possessions. And what Jesus wants us to know here is, your stuff, if if you're unwilling to let it go, it can keep you from following Him. Think about the rich young ruler for a moment. He came to Jesus wanting to pursue God. He was trying to do the right things. He, he made a list of the, the commandments. He said, I've done all that since I was a kid, man. I'm, but what do I still lack, Jesus? And Jesus said, hey, you've got some stuff I don't know if you're willing to let go of. So here's what I need you to do. I want you to sell everything, give it all to the poor. Then you can come and follow me. And what did that man do? He walked away sad. And Jesus let him go. And here's the reason, because Jesus wants you more than he wants you and your stuff. He wants you to let go of everything and be willing to follow him empty handed. He wants to bless us with all that we need to do kingdom work. But we're so busy holding on to little trinkets in this life that he can't fill our hands because they're not empty. They're too full. We've got too much stuff in our hands that God can't give you what he wants to give you. He won't. Let it go. Let it go. Don't let your stuff keep you from following Jesus. And then thirdly, verse 22, it says they left their boat and their father. This one's painful. We're going to spend just a minute here. So I would tell us we need to forsake our old priorities. Your pursuits, your possessions and your old priorities. Relationships and family these are huge priorities for us. And in our culture, it's a big deal. We're, we're a family culture. And I think that's a good thing. It, it's a good thing. So long as it doesn't become a God thing. Are y'all with me on that? One of the enemy's greatest tactics is taking good things and making them God things in your life. He takes a good blessing that God intends for you. And he lets you turn it into an idol that you're unwilling to part with to follow Jesus. 
And this is the scenario right here. These men are willing to leave their father to follow Jesus. You go, well, that's, that that's, can't be what Jesus means. Maybe it is. Look with me in Luke chapter 9. Jesus has a lot of teaching about the family, and he encourages us to love our families well. He encourages us, moms and dads, to love our children, to raise them in the admonition of the Lord. He encourages children to love and honor their parents. He encourages us to honor our parents in their old age. There's lots of things that we should do as family to be honoring to our fathers, mothers, children, wives, and all those things. But Jesus knew that this good gift has the potential to be a God in your life, an idol that keeps you from following Him. So He makes some very hard statements. In Luke chapter 9, there's a, there's a man who wants to follow Jesus, but his father is his priority. Luke nine fifty nine at the very end of the chapter, to another man Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord... Let me first, let me first go and bury my father. Now, that doesn't sound like an unrealistic request. You you might would think maybe his dad's sick. His dad might be near death. Maybe his father has an inheritance for him that might be good, um, you know, wealth for him to be able to follow Jesus. Who, Who knows what this man's reasoning is? But let's just listen to what Jesus says. Let me go bury my father, then I'll follow you. Let me first bury my dad and then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus is giving a new set of priorities here. Now, don't don't mistake me. I'm not saying he's not saying your father doesn't matter. He's just saying this matters more. And that's the shocking reality. And it should be a jolt to our culture. This is not the only place he does this. We could go on and on, but I want to show you one more text. Look at Luke 14. This is probably the hardest one from Jesus. And here's what he says in Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. Jesus was really good at uh, saying hard things to the crowds. Jesus is real good at thinning, thinning out a crowd. And so here he's about to say... Some hard things and the crowd is going to disperse and he's going to be left with the few that are real disciples. And here's what he says. Look at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. These are hard teachings, right? Can we agree? That's just hard. So Jesus is setting, he's drawing a line in the sand and he's saying, if you're unwilling to adjust your priorities to make the kingdom more important than your family, your earthly family, you cannot be my disciple. Let's make no mistake. That is his words. You cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to forsake old priorities. Now, let's take it in balance. He's not telling you um, to not be a good dad or to not love your children or children not to love your parents. He's telling you that. He's saying, love him more. 
There's nothing better as a dad you can do for your children than to tell them that you love God more than them. It's important that we as parents don't get consumed into thinking our lives orbit around our babies. What happens when they're gone from your life? I can't tell you how many marriage counseling sessions I've sat in where husband and wife no longer love each other because their children are out of their house and they spent their whole lives wrapped around their babies. But now they don't love each other. They don't even want to be together because they didn't keep the priority. Lots of other reasons, but they didn't keep the priority. Jesus says kingdom first, just like we heard from our sister here. Kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom. All this other stuff, I'll take care of it. Don't get caught in the trap of our society. And this is an idol that, believe it or not, even the church loves. Here's what I mean. We celebrate when people choose family over Jesus. This is hard, so I'm going to park here for just a minute. But we actually think less of them when they leave their families to go to the mission field. We find ourselves going, how could you even do that? How could you leave your children? We've lost our way, church. These people, the earliest of disciples, knew that it meant to forsake it all. At least to be willing to forsake it all. And if Jesus calls you to, then do it. Go for the gospel. We've got things backwards. Jesus is our first priority. Not to to abandon other responsibilities, but to keep them in perspective. Are you all with me on that? Balance there, okay? Here's the deal. In order to follow Jesus, you have to leave the old pursuits, the old possessions, the old priorities behind. You've got to be willing to walk away from all of that and follow him. That, That means we have to let Jesus determine what you should chase after. What you should keep. Let him determine what you keep and what you get rid of. Let him tell you. You don't need to hold on to that. Let it go. And you should give your attention what you should give your attention and affection to is Jesus. All right. So the biggest question that hit us this week, our elders were studying this passage this week together. And the biggest question that hits us as we read through these four verses in Luke and in, in Mark four is why in the world? Why? It says immediately they left it and followed him. And the biggest question is why? Why would anybody do that? So point number two, they left everything and they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. These guys found and they followed Jesus because he was worth it. That's the bottom line. He was worth it. If you read the story as Luke tells it in Luke 5, and I don't think we have time right now to do that, but if you read it in Luke chapter 5, what you discover, uh, Luke gives us more detail, is that um, they had been fishing all night, and Jesus comes to them and um, gets in the boat with Simon. He teaches the crowds on the land, and then he says, let's go out into the water. I want you to put your nets out. And Peter's like, we've been doing that all night. (laughs) We're the fishermen. You're a carpenter. We've been doing that all night. Jesus says, 
let your net down. Peter says, at your word, we'll, uh, we'll let our nets down. They let their nets down, and um, Peter saw something. You know, he's a fisherman, been fishing all his life. But Jesus has the power to command these fish to just swim into the net. Like, fish obey his command, and they swim into their nets so much that they, they pull the nets in, the, and their nets are breaking their ship is sinking. So Peter calls to James and John in the other boat. You guys got to come over. They fill up this boat. They fill up that boat. Both boats are about to sink because Jesus is in charge of the fish, right? Peter saw something. That's what Luke 5 says. When Peter saw it, here's the reality. His eyes were opened to see who Jesus is and all of a sudden nothing else mattered. And that's the treasure That's what we're talking about. In Jesus, they found great treasure. That's your next blank on your teaching outline. In Jesus, they found a great treasure. Um, It makes me think of Matthew 13, 44. Matthew 13, 44 talks about um, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered it up. And then in his joy, he sells all that he has. And buys that field. The crazy thing is that man immediately when he found the treasure, he was like, nothing else I've accrued in all my life is worth keeping if I don't get that. I got to have that. I'm selling everything else so I can have that. And Jesus is the treasure. So they left everything and followed Jesus because he is the treasure. He's worth it. People that follow Jesus no longer live for themselves. People that follow Jesus no longer live for themselves. 2 Corinthians 5.15 teaches us, don't live for yourself. Listen to this. And Jesus died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So what it means to follow Jesus is to not live for yourself, but to live for him. I love this verse in Psalm 37, it's verse 5, and it's just three simple statements. I love it. Listen to this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. Listen to that. Just commit your way. What's that mean? It means surrender your path. Let Him determine it. Then just trust Him, and He will act. He'll do it. He'll work. Last thing. These earliest disciples, they committed to fish for men. Jesus made it very clear from the beginning. If you follow me, I'm going to teach you to fish for men. That's what this mission is. If you're going to follow me, I'm going to show you a new way. And here's what it is. It's not fishing for fish. It's fishing for men. I'm going to show you how to do that. If you follow me, we're going to fish for men. And these guys left everything and signed up for that journey. So here's the thing. A disciple, we're defining it, right? A disciple is a fisher of men. If you are following Jesus, you are fishing for men. We can't separate them. You either are or you're not. So as we follow Christ, we must be fishing for men. What does that look like? Well, this phrase means you're looking for people who've never seen Christ as glorious like Peter did in the boat, 
And you're trying to show them. You're telling them the gospel. You want them to know who Jesus is so that their eyes would be opened, their heart would be awakened, and their soul, that they would want to follow, that they would want to come to Christ. Listen, fishing for men. Let's be clear. If you're riding around in a boat and there are fish under you, you're not fishing. If, there are, if you're in a boat and you're throwing fish food out of the boat into the water, you're not fishing. If you're in a boat with someone who is fishing, you're not fishing. The aim of fishing is to get the fish out of the water into the boat. That's the aim of fishing. And when Jesus says, I'm telling you, you're going to learn to fish for men. He's talking about getting men and women out of darkness, out of the world and into him, into life, into him. If we're just tossing out, well, God loves you, tossing out our fish food. That's not fishing. Fishing is looking someone in the eye and saying, do you know Jesus? Have you ever trusted in Christ? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? That's fishing. Would you do that today? Draw the net. That is fishing. We're called to fish for men. There's a phrase. I want to finish with this this morning. There's a phrase. I wonder if you've ever heard it. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where I found food. You guys heard of that? I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where I found food. I didn't, I didn't realize this until a couple weeks ago. I was reading, been reading in the Old Testament, and I was reading in 2 Kings, and I stumbled on a story that's unbelievable. I want to share it with you. The people of Israel were in a terrible time of famine. Terrible. It was so bad that every, people were dying everywhere. And the Bible tells in 2 Kings chapter 6, this is pretty graphic, okay? Um... 2 Kings chapter 6 tells the story of uh, the king going through town and there's a woman on the wall and she cries out to the king. She says, help us. And he tears his clothes. He says, I can't. I don't have anything to give you. We're all going to die, is what he's saying. Under his clothes, the people see and there's sackcloth and ashes there. And um, she's crying out for help. Then she tells him a story that makes him weep. She says, yesterday, my neighbor woman... She, she, she said, let's work a deal. If you'll kill your son and cook him, we'll eat him and live another day. And tomorrow, we'll do my son and live another day. I don't know if you know this story's in the Bible. I read this and I was just like, oh my word, this is terrible. Well, the woman is grieving because she said, we did it. We ate my son yesterday, but today this woman and her son have hidden. They've run off. And I'm grieving. She's pleading to a king who's desperate to help, but he cannot. 2 Kings chapter 6, you ought to read it. Well, in chapter 7, there's a unique thing that happens. Um, Sarah, hold, hold on that for just a second. In chapter 7, there's a unique thing that happens. You see, the people are in a famine because there's an enemy outside the camp that's starving them out. They're not letting any trade go in and out of the city. And there's, there's a huge army, an enemy that's right outside that's just waiting to pounce on this frail victim. Well, God confuses the army outside the enemy gate, outside the gates. He, he lets them think that there's another army that's trampling in on them that's going to take them over. And so they quickly, frantically 
rush and run away. They flee for their lives. They even leave their clothes dangling behind and all their food and their money, their wealth, everything. They leave it right there and they run for their lives. The Lord does that. The Lord won the victory. Well, you know who stumbles in and finds it? I love this. It's a beggar. A leprous beggar who has been pushed outside the camp because he has leprosy. He and his leper buddy, they're outside the camp and they stumble into the spoils of a victory they didn't even have to fight. And they stumble into the enemy's camp and they discover their food and gold and silver. And they begin to just, can you just imagine? They take the bread and they're just just wolfing it down because they haven't eaten in weeks. I want you to see this. 2 Kings chapter 7. Here's what happens. Verse 8, 2 Kings 7, verse 8. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and they ate and they drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and they entered another tent and carried off things from it and they went and hid them. And they said to one another, look at this, this is is huge. We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we're silent and we wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell all the king's household. That's what it means to fish for men. That's what it means that you're a leprous beggar who has stumbled into a victory. You didn't fight a battle. You didn't even fight. You've stumbled in and you've You've reaped the spoils, the goodness of God. You've tasted and seen He's good. He's sustaining. He's life-giving. He's he's the one true hope of the world. And it's not good to hoard that. Just like these guys said, this is a day of good news. We must go and tell all the king's household. So what Jesus was doing from the very beginning is recruiting a people who are going to forsake their pursuits, forsake their possessions, forsake their priorities, follow His lead, follow Jesus, leave all that, follow Him, and fish for men to take the bread of life that they found in the gospel of Christ and give it to a desperate, dying world. That's who we are, church. As disciples of Jesus, that's who we are. We are people who have turned from our old life, trusted in Christ, being transformed from the inside out. We've died to ourselves and surrendered to Him as Lord. And He is leading the way. That's what it means to be the church. A group of people, a group of disciples who are on this mission in covenant community. I love what Trish was encouraging us with, to be the body, to love each other well, to push each other in mission. So I want to ask you two questions. One, are you a disciple? Has there been that point in your life where you've said, it? I'm tired of living for myself. I want to turn from my sin and trust in Jesus Christ. And two, are you a fisher of men? Are you, are you feasting on the, on the king's 
spoils on the spoils of victory? Are you feasting without sharing, without telling, without going to the king's household and letting it be known how others can be saved? Church, let's be a people who are always looking, always going, always telling those who need to know Christ.